We have a special guest back by popular demand, Joe Simon. Joe, each year is right around Easter, has done a Messianic prophecy series, and this one is going to be, I think, your, the best one yet, your favorite one yet. So come on up, Joe. All right. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you visited us. And, um, Lord, even when we didn't receive you in the way that we should have, you were faithful to us. And, Lord, I ask that you would, by your spirit, visit us now in a way that we have never experienced before. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds right now to receive the word that you will give us this morning. Lord, prepare our hearts and our minds by getting rid of those things of the world, those things of our carnal mind, those things of sin, those things of apathy that could deter us from hearing your voice this morning. Lord, as we hear your word, as we hear your word, let us hear your voice. You said your sheep hear your voice. So, Lord, uh, empower us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, your word says in, in the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit will illuminate, will, will help us understand your word. And we cannot understand your word without the Holy Spirit, Lord. So empower us this morning. Fill us this morning with your Holy Spirit. Lord, empower me, Lord, to deliver only that which you want delivered, Lord. Nothing from my own personal agenda. Nothing from my carnal mind. Lord, anoint my words this morning with your words. Lord, Isaiah 55 says, your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Let the message this morning be only your thoughts and your ways. And I thank you for everyone here in, in church this morning and all those who are attending by, by stream, all those who will watch this later. I pray that all will prepare their hearts and their minds to receive this wonderful, wonderful message of you visiting us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did on the cross. We thank you for... As your word says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. We thank you for Galatians 3.13, where it says that you became the curse of the law, which is the punishment for sin. Lord, that you took all of mankind's sin on you. You who knew no sin, you who didn't deserve it. And yet you visited us and we didn't receive you the way we should have. Lord, I pray for this nation. I pray for the church in this nation. I pray for all believers to have heart surgery, spiritual heart surgery. Lord, that we would we would hear you in a way we've never heard you before and act on what we hear. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you would turn to Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 28. Jesus said this going up to Jerusalem. As he, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent out two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, Why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. So those who were sent went out and found it just as Jesus had told them. How many times? Jesus tells us something and we don't believe it and things happen just as he has told us. As they were untying the colt, its, a, it's, a, it's, its owner asked, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they answered. They led the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks over it and put Jesus on it. As he rode along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And as he approached the descent from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they remain silent, the very stones will cry out. As Jesus approached Uh, Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and said, if only you had known on this, thy day, what would bring you peace? Just remember that phrase, this, thy day. But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will barricade you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground, and you and the children within your walls. How tragic. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Now... Um, for the purpose of the video, I'm going to reread Matthew 21. By the way, this account is found in all four Gospels. When something is in all four Gospels, you need to pay attention to it. So Todd had read during the video from Matthew 21. I'm just going to read a few verses, what, what is in addition to Luke. In verse, Matthew 21, verse 2 He says to them, go into the village ahead of you at once and find a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And we're going to find out who that prophet was. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 8 says, a massive crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him, and those that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd that was entering Jerusalem with Jesus replied, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Take note that the people of Jerusalem didn't know Jesus was coming. But yet, they were ready for someone 
Why is that? I'm going to add one more. Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark doesn't give us anything new. It's all the same information. Uh, There's one point in the Gospel of John, in chapter 12, verse 16, that John adds this, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He adds, at first his disciples did not understand these things. But after Jesus was glorified, why? Why after Jesus was glorified? Could it have been the Holy Spirit? Of course. After Jesus was glorified, they remembered what had been done to him, and they realized that these very things had also been written about him. Some little details, little details, powerful details. And I'm going to explain them all to you this morning. Very excited about this. So we go back to several of the cross references that are in the Gospels. Um, The most famous one. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless pit. That's not from the Gospels. That's from Zechariah. That's from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. That was prophesied almost 500 years before this event. Think about 500 years. Sometimes we say Bible, oh, 500 years. Think about 500 years in the United States. That would put us in 1521. (laughs) That's a long time ago. Imagine somebody said something in 1521 that was supposed to come true today. How much credence would we give it? And yet, the profound truth of God recorded by Zechariah comes true centuries later. Centuries later. The profound truth of Zechariah that were the scriptures of the Jews. There was no New Testament at this time. In writing, the New Testament was living, standing in front of them. The New Covenant was living and standing in front of them in the person of Jesus. The Word in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. The Word of God became flesh. Jesus standing in front of them is the living New Testament. The apostles propagated the New Testament by teaching and then writing. And then the recorded writings we have is the New Testament. But at this time, there was no Gospel of John in writing. There was no Gospel of Luke in writing. There was no letter of Paul from Paul. Paul wasn't even a Christian at this point at the, at the triumphal entry. He was one of the Sanhedrin saying, saying to, to Jesus, tell your disciples to, to stop saying what they're saying. And then later, Paul would be one of the greatest disciples of, of Jesus. Zechariah's prophecy. No doubt about it. The gospel, of, the gospel of Matthew says this is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. So we know that the triumphal entry of Jerusalem, in, 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 of Jesus into Jerusalem, 
is a fulfillment of prophecy. There's no doubt about it. If you believe that the that Second Timothy three sixteen is true, that all Scripture is inspired by God, and and this is a Scripture in Matthew, then God is telling us this event is the fulfillment of this prophecy. How many times have people said to you, "There's no proof. There's no proof of what you believe." You believe in fables. You believe in stories. They were made up by people who had an agenda, who wanted to propagate a religion. They wanted to begin a religion. No. There are some very, very different things from our faith than all other religions. First and foremost, there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The man that was buried there is not there. They can't find his dead body because his dead body doesn't exist. He's risen and he's ascended and he sits on the throne of heaven. And there's more proof of that than some famous people in history that have existed that we automatically accept from history books. There's more proof of the resurrection of Christ, the number of witnesses. So our faith differs in that respect, and I'm sure you knew that. But the other thing that sets us apart from all other religions is fulfilled prophecy. One third of the Word of God is prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. God says, A thousand years, this will happen. This Messiah will come. He will look like this. He will say, he will say these things. He will do these things. A thousand years later, it comes true in the person of Jesus Christ. 500 years. This, this man will come. He will be riding on a colt. He will ride into Jerusalem. Rejoice. He will, he will release your prisoners from the waterless pit. We all know what that means. Prophecy. It is one of the greatest evangelistic tools we can wield when trying to talk about our faith to non-believers. It is a great tool to encourage the faith of believers. When I, when I have my prophecy classes with some of you here, we, we just love going over the prophecies, not because we come to a faith in Christ, because it affirms our faith in Christ. It, it, it strengthens our faith in Christ. And um, thank you, Christina. <laughs> And, and more important than just the prophecy becoming true, wow, look at that, that prediction came true. More than that, the prophecies give us such detail of the character of Jesus, such detail of the events of Jesus. There are more details of, of Good Friday in Psalm 22 and in Isaiah 52 and 53, the details of what Jesus suffered. More details than are in the Gospels. Do the work yourself. Look in Isaiah 52 and 53. Look at the description. Look at the description in Psalm 22. And then look at the description of, of, of Christ being crucified in the Gospels. And I, I understand why God didn't repeat all of the details. Because he had already given them. And he wants us to look at them. He wants us to go into the Old Testament and look at the prophecies. 
and affirm our faith there. Isaiah 29, 13 and 14. This is, this is the, the part where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord said, these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is rules taught by men. Therefore, I will again, again confound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will vanish and the intelligence of the intelligent will be hidden. Now, we know who he's talking about at this time, the time of the triumphal entry. We know that he's talking about the teachers of the law. We know he's talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We know he says to them, you make a disciple and that disciple is twice as fit for hell as you are. Jesus said, before Abraham, I am. If you would have known Abraham, you would know me, but you don't know me. You do the works of your father, the devil. Some very, very serious words from Jesus about the people who should have known. So we look at this and we say, those, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those teachers of the law, those bad guys, there is application for us, my friends. There's application for us. These people draw to me, draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is rules taught by men. I challenge you to go through everything you believe. Take the time to do it. Take everything you believe, compare it to the word of God. If it's not in there, get rid of it. If it's rules taught by men and not by God, I just point to the scripture, just point to the scripture. And then it says, just like we see God doing this to the Egyptians, I will confound these people with their wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will vanish and the intelligence of the intelligent will be hidden. There is this, this relationship God has with those who reject him where we see language. Like I said, the, the Pharaoh, he hardened the heart of the Pharaoh of Egypt. He didn't harden the heart against the will of the Pharaoh. He didn't harden the hearts of these people uh, against their will. They weren't like, I really want to know you, Jesus. Nope, sorry, your heart is hardened. Now, he didn't do that. He gave them what they wanted. They wanted to have hardened hearts, so he hardened their hearts. He, 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 they wanted to have wisdom apart from his wisdom, so God's wisdom in their life vanished. They wanted to have knowledge that wasn't God's knowledge, so God's knowledge in their lives was hidden. I'm sorry if you disagree with me, but that's what it says. <laughs> Can't go, go against what it says. So, Joe, are you sure you want to be talking about all this? Are you sure you want to be saying, you know, that these men should have known? They should have known what was in front of them. 
and, 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 and they just rejected what they knew. Maybe they just didn't have enough information. Joe, are you sure you want to be telling these people that they had all the information? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'll let Jesus tell you. In the, in the parable of the wicked tenants of the, 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 the workers in the vineyard, in Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 15, Jesus says this. And remember, parables. What did Jesus say about parables? He said, I speak in parables for, for people who are really seeking, really searching, will find the lesson. They'll find the answer in the parables, and those who aren't seeking will not see it. He proceeded to tell the people in this parable, the man planted a vineyard. This is the master of the vineyard. He plants a vineyard, and he rents it out to some tenants and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect his share of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat the servants and sent them away empty-handed. So he sent another servant, and they beat them and treated him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed. In, in other places in the New Testament, it says they killed the servants. Um, he sent a third, but they wounded him and threw him out. What shall I do, asked the owner of the vineyard. I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw the son, they discussed it among themselves and said, pay attention, this is the heir. This is the master's son. The master, this is his son. Does that sound like they recognize who he is and who he stands for? It sure does. Let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and will give the vineyard to others. And just in case that didn't affect you, Matthew 21:45 says, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they knew Jesus was speaking about them. Owner of the vineyard, God. God the Father. Workers in the vineyard, the leaders of Israel. The servants that they get, the prophets. God would send the prophets, they would hurt and beat up and kill the prophets. Right? John the Baptist said it, Jesus said it. The master's son, come on, Jesus. And what do they say when the master's son shows up? They say, this is the master's son. Now today... And that, what, I've, what I've told you so far is not the interesting part of the sermon. <laughs> the interesting part's coming. <laughs> what I'm going to try to show you today is something that was, um, was written in a book over 100 years ago called The Coming Prince by a man named Sir Robert, Sir Robert Anderson. He was Robert Anderson when he was writing the book. When he was done with the book and the royal family of the, the king and the queen of England read the book. By the way, Robert Anderson was uh, the head of Scotland Yard at this time. It was the turn of the century, the late 1800s to the 1900s. So he was a man that practiced detective work, looking at evidence. And he wrote this book called The Coming Prince, and he was knighted for this work. Can you imagine the government of England knighting somebody for writing a book about Jesus? Boy, society has changed. So he wrote this book, and he came to some, some very, very interesting conclusions based on, and here's all your favorite subject, math. <laughs> math. You know what? 
when we talk about math, though, there's no argument. You know, you can't say 3 times 7 isn't 21 unless there's some new math. Um, math is very convincing. But before I get into the work of, of Sir Robert Anderson, um, I, I want to read the prophecy in which he, he analyzed, which he investigated. And it goes back to Daniel chapter 9. And we're, we're, we're in verses 20 through 26. This is one of the most profound prophecies in the, in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament. One of the most profound. While he was speaking and praying. So what happens is Daniel is praying for Jerusalem. He's in captivity. He's been in captivity. He's right around the, the 70th year of Israel's captivity in, in, in the Babylonian Persian time. There's a long description of why it goes from Babylon to Persia. But at this time, Persia is in charge. They had defeated Babylon. And they're approaching the 70th year of captivity. And Daniel's like, wait a minute. Um, Jeremiah said, we're only supposed to be here 70 years. Lord, are we going to be going back, back to the Holy Land? You know, or are you people? And he's praying for Jerusalem. And while he was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and that of the people of Israel, presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning his holy mountain, while I was still praying, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in a vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and spoke with me, saying, O Daniel, I have come now to give you insight and understanding. Insight and understanding. Maybe you should pay attention to what what this says at the beginning of your petitions an answer went out and I have come to tell you for you are a highly you are highly precious so consider the message and understand the vision now I'm going to say this in advance the the language that Gabriel says to Daniel and Daniel writes down has to be decoded and I will do that for you so don't panic like what is he saying Seventy weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city to stop their transgression, to put an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. Know this and understand this. From the issuance of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seventy. There will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in the times of distress. Then, after sixty-two weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. So, see, it's easy, right? Get that, right? Okay. Let me do some decoding for you. We say ten years is a decade. They didn't say decades back then. They had seven-year periods, and the seven-year periods were called weeks. So a week in this prophecy is a seven-year period. So 70 weeks is 70 times seven years, which is 490 years. And so that's when I start saying years now. Say, well, where are you getting these years from? It's from decoding the, the, 40, the 7 times 7 weeks, which is 49 years, and the 62 times 7 weeks, which is 434 years. And if you add 49 years and 434 years, 
this is an important number, you get 483 years from the time of the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. That's what you need to know. Somebody gives a decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and 483 years later, the Messiah shows up. That's what's in this prophecy. Now, Joe, where'd you get this information from? This sounds a little shaky. All right. Well, I'll just have you know that this prophecy, this prophecy and the coming prince by, by Sir Robert Anderson is referenced by almost everybody credible. Almost everybody. I have a book. I have a, I have a, a, a Bible study guide on the book of Daniel that uh, Brenda Danner gave me to use. And Chuck Swindoll. How many of you heard of Chuck Swindoll? Right? A lot of you, right? It's a pretty reputable guy. He quotes, he quotes Sir Robert Anderson in here. All the Calvary, uh, Chuck Smith, Joe Faust um, in Philly, they, they quote him. Uh, systematic theologian Arnold Fruchtenbaum. I'm sure, I'm sure all, all the other famous ones, they've all read this book and they've all agreed with it. Okay? So I, these are not my ideas. I'm, I am just taking researched information and passing it on to you. I didn't come up with any of this stuff myself. I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare come up with some of this stuff myself. So you got 483 years from the time that Gabriel, who gets his information from God, God, Gabriel gives it to Daniel. Daniel prophesies about it, writes it down. We can read it today. 483 years from the time of the proclamation. What proclamation? What proclamation? Well, it just so happens in the year 445 B.C. that King Artaxerxes makes a decree right around the 70th year of, 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 uh, of captivity that Israel may go back, the people of Israel may go back to the Holy Land and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, why do I keep saying rebuild Jerusalem? Because there's, there's several other proclamations around that time. They can go back and rebuild the walls of their nation. They can go back and rebuild their temple. But there is only one proclamation about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, which is specific in this prophecy. All right. Seventy weeks. Now, I said 483, and you're, some of you are going, wait, 70 times 7 is 490. Oh, there is another seven-year period, but it has not come yet. Let me read the description of what these 490 years are supposed to do. They are decreed for your people and your holy city to stop their transgression, to put an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy place. So there was 483 years. 7 times 7, 62 times 7, 483 years. And then there's one week that I have, that I have not told you about. It's in verse 27, because that gets into a whole other subject. That there is a one last seven-year period. One last seven-year period. Anybody have any idea what, what that might be? <laughs> okay. A seven-year period of judgment. A seven-year period. Right. Seven-year period. Just go to the book of Revelation, 
Chapter 6 to chapter 18, seven-year period. That has not come yet. So we're not going to deal with that because that would make this sermon about three hours. Okay? So what happens? Now, we, you can say, well, how do, how do you know about this proclamation of, Nea, of, of uh, Artaxerxes? Just go to the book of Nehemiah. Artaxerxes took the throne uh, in 465 B.C., and it says in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, at the beginning of Nehemiah, um, so 465, now when you're in B.C., when you subtract, you have to, the number gets smaller because it's B.C. So if you don't go to 465, 485, you go 465 minus 20 years, now you're 445 B.C. The proclamation's there. You can look it up. It's in Nehemiah. So when that, pro, that, when that proclamation is, I'm sorry, if I keep saying prophecy and, and, I'm, and I, mean, I might mean proclamation, I get those two words mixed up. Can you, can you see why? They're so close. Um, the proclamation of Artaxerxes in 445 B.C., go and rebuild Jerusalem. Start the clock. 483 years, the Messiah should show up. Okay. Well, what happened? What happened? Well, Jerusalem was destroyed, as Jesus had said in Luke 19. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. Uh, nation of Israel was destroyed in 70 A.D. A lot of information was destroyed. The lineage was destroyed. 70 A.D. And the, the whole idea of how the Jews were keeping years, we went from two systems of keeping years to one system, the one we use, the Julian calendar, 365-day years. But the Jews never kept years in 365-day years. The Bible, when it talks about years, how many days is a year in, the, in, the, in, in Genesis, in Revelation, how many days is a year? 360. We never see a 365-day year let alone 365.25, because one year is 366 for leap year. We never see that. Well, what happened was, over the centuries, people looked at Daniel's prophecy. They went 483 years into the future, and they came out way past the time of Jesus, seven years past the time of Jesus. And I said, ah, Daniel's prophecy is not accurate. Then Robert Anderson had an epiphany had a vision from God, reading his Bible. And he went, maybe those years are supposed to be 360-day years, not 365-day years. But now you have to set up a whole new calculation. How do you go from Artaxerxes' proclamation with only 360-day years? Well, he did that. Let me read from page four of The Coming Prince. The full significance of the words which follow in the Gospel of St. Luke is concealed by a slight interpolation in the text. As the shouts broke forth from his disciples, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. He looked off to the holy city and he exclaimed, and you heard me read this before, if thou hadst known even on this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. The time of Jerusalem's visitation had come. She knew it not. Long ere then the nation had rejected him, but this was the predestined day when their choice must be irrevocable. 
The day so distinctly signalized in the scripture as the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, which I read to you, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, that king cometh there, riding on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. Of all the days of ministry Christ on the earth, no other day will satisfy so well the angel's words unto the Messiah, the prince. Robert Anderson is saying, there is no prophecy like this one. This one, we have prophecies, but we're never told the exact day. This one we are. Now, I'm going to skip some of his description here because he, he starts decoding Jewish months into Julian calendar months. And the Jewish month in which all these events take place is the Jewish month of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. But basically he decodes, if we know what day Passover was, then we know what day Palm Sunday is. We know what day Good Friday is. We know what day Easter Sunday is, Resurrection Sunday is. So he decodes that. I'm not going to get into it because you're going to get confused. Okay, But if you want to sit down with me and really hack at it, I'll, I'll take the time to do that with you. All right, but basically, from from the from the Passover meal, we can we can we can know the date, and the date of Palm Sunday um, is April six thirty two A.D. The date of of Artaxerxes' proclamation is March fourteenth four forty five B.C. And this is what Robert Anderson says: the interval contained. Exactly, and to the very day, 173,880 days. That's 483 times 360 days. So he broke it down into days and then just counted the days. 1,073,880 7, days, or 7 times 69 that's 7 times 7 plus 62 times 7. It's math, I know. 7 times 7, 62 times 7 is 69 times 7. That's 69 prophetic years of 360 days, the first 69 weeks of Gabriel's prophecy. The interval contained exactly is to the very day. The very day. Artaxerxes' proclamation to Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Prophecy is exact to the day. Then he goes into a whole, Robert Anderson goes into a whole description of how this works with the Julian calendar. So 483 years in the Hebrew calendar is not 483 years of the of the Julian calendar, it's actually 476 years. And then he adds the days, um, the leap years in, and he comes to the same conclusion, 173,880 days, 69 weeks of prophetic years, 69 times 7 times 360, 173,880 days. The prophecy is according to the way years were calculated in Daniel's day. There is no reason why God, first of all, God's years are 360-day years. There's no reason why God would start explaining 
through Gabriel to Daniel. Oh, by the way, you know, you need to adjust the prophecy for the, the Julian calendar, which is 365 days, but every four years there's an extra day. There was no point in that. He gave the prophecy according to the way Daniel would understand it, according to the way the Jews would understand it, which is very important. Because if the Jews understood this, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, if they understood this, what can we conclude from that? They knew this day was coming. And now we're going to go back to some of the things that I just read you in Luke. He said, if, if, this, if only you had known on this thy day. Jesus sounds like he's talking about of a specific day. You did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Now, let's take a step back and look at something here. What other city was Jesus welcomed by people saying Hosanna, waving palm branches, riding on a donkey, crowds cheering, crowds who didn't know who he was cheering for a Messiah? What other city did that happen in? Didn't. It only happened this one time. Not only that, when they tried to do it, when Jesus fed the 5,000, what is it? They said, it says they tried to take him by force and make him king. Because they gave him, he gave him free food. And what did he do? He, dis- he disappeared. He went away. Every time they tried to make him king, at the, the wedding feast at Cana, um, he says to Mary, Mary says, you know, you know, do something here. And he goes, this is not my time. This is not my day. All right? There were many times where Jesus, they were going to try to do this, and Jesus discouraged it. But what do we see in the beginning of Palm Sunday? We see Jesus orchestrating it. Go get the colt. It's time for the colt. It's time for the Zechariah colt. You know? It's the day. I was with a group of people praying before the sermon, and Patty Shields says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I said, Patty, that's Palm Sunday. That's what that psalm is talking about. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118. This is the day, this day, prophesied about. And they should have known, and they did know, but they didn't accept it for what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the, 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 the arrival of the Messiah, and he was supposed to be welcomed as a Messiah. But instead, the, the Pharisees are saying, tell your disciples to be quiet. In another account, we have Caiaphas saying, you know, it's better for one man to die than for a whole nation to suffer. We have, the, we, have the, we have them saying the opposite. We have them saying the very same things that the, the wicked tenants in the, in, the, uh, in the parable are saying about the master's son. If we kill him, we can, we can, we can take the vineyard. Where'd that come from? How about an angel named Lucifer, who is, according to Ezekiel, the most beautiful angel? And, and according to other verses, leads worship in heaven. And he gets all like, yeah, I'm the worship guy. Look, at him, I'm so shiny. Yeah. I should be sitting on that throne. I should be God. And what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, you do your works of the father, your father, the devil. That is a satanic attitude. That we're going to hijack God's work. We're going to hijack and make it our own. 
We're going to become our own gods. We don't need God. We don't need his son. And like I said, this is very easy for us. This is very easy for us to say, oh, those, those rascals, those Pharisees, you know. But we have to be really careful. We have to be really careful. Not to just look at the Pharisees and say, how could they have been so stupid? But how about us? We, the Pharisees didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees didn't have the New Testament. We do. So just to, just to summarize this prophecy from Daniel, let me just take from page 94 of The Coming Prince, where Robert Anderson sums it all up in, in, seven, in seven, a list of seven things. The 70 weeks was the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem in Daniel 9.29. There was never but one decree to rebuild Jerusalem. So if you ever hear somebody say, well, there were lots of proclamations, but not to rebuild Jerusalem. That decree was, decree was issued by Artaxerxes, king of Persia, in, in, the, in, the, in the 20th year of his reign in 445 B.C. The city was actually built because of that de- decree. So they started, they started the, 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 the decree. In, in Chuck Swindoll's uh, study guide, he, he explains that the, the reason why it's, why doesn't he just say 69 times 7? Because the 7 times 7 is the, the construction time. And the city, it takes them 49 years to finish the reconstruction of Jerusalem. And then there's 62 times 7 more years until the Messiah comes. That's why, that's why God broke up that prophecy. More detail. God gives us detail. The Julian date of, the, of, of, of Artaxerxes was 445, March 14th, 445 B.C. The 69 weeks, 173,880 days, reckoned from 14, March 14th, 445 B.C. until April 6th, 32 A.D. That day on which the 69 weeks ended, the fateful day on which the Lord rode into Jerusalem in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, when for the first time and only occasion in his, in his earthly sojourn, he acclaimed, was acclaimed Messiah, the Prince, uh, the King, the Son of David. That was it. That was the day. Not before that. And we know what happened a week later. The very same people were like, come on, ascend to the throne. Ascend to the throne and defeat Rome. And that was not his purpose for the first coming. So if you're interested in, in I gave you very, very little from The Coming Prince. If you're interested, in, get, get the book, The Coming Prince, by Sir Robert Anderson. And so let's, um, let's talk about application of all of this because I'm running out of time. Really, really simple, I could say this to you. How many of you remember some of the scripture verses Pastor Chuck gave last week? Because that's, that's going to be my summation here. That's going to be my, my uh, summation. Last week, Pastor Chuck said, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. A sense of awe came over everyone. The apostles performed many wonders and signs. All the believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They shared with everyone who was in need with one accord. They continued to meet daily 
in the temple courts and to break bread from house to house, sharing their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed and useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. That sounds like Daniel. That sounds like the, 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 the process that, that God's saying he has for Israel. For training, for conviction, for correction. King James says for rebuke. The word of God is for rebuke. When was the last time you, 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 rebuked, the, you rebuked somebody from the word of God? Well, that, you know, I don't want to be confrontational. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be mean-spirited. What does the word of God say? <laughs> you speak the truth in love. You don't have to be nasty, but you speak the truth. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, which re- leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Speak to one another with psalms. We quoted some psalms today. Hymns. We sang some hymns today. Spiritual songs. How about every day? Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. In my conclusion today, before I get to the part of the sermon that I don't know I'll get through, is because of the amount of prophecy in the Old Testament, it is evident that the Lord wants us to know and be affected by prophecy. The effect is measured in observable devotions, actions. We need to study prophecy because we need to understand God more, not just know the events. The, there's more prophecy, not, not messianic prophecy, prophecy about Israel, prophecy about the world, prophecy about the coming. There's more prophecy about what's coming in the future than there is that's behind us. How many of you know all that? How many of you are, have the information of, about what's coming? We see that Jesus wanted them to know this prophecy when he came the first time. Don't you think he wants us to know what he's telling us is coming. So that's what prophecy is for. And now I also want to uh, talk about um, my father who passed away on February 14th. Um, my father was born a Jew. At 11 years old, he decided on his own to attend Hebrew school. He was not in, it was not um, you know, forced to go, he decided on his own. Made his bar mitzvah, continued in Hebrew school until he graduated high school, went off to college, met some people at college, Cooper Union in New York, that were Christians. One of that, one of that group happened to be my mom. And he was very outward about his Jewish faith and he talked about the Jewish faith to these Christian people and, and their response was well that's wonderful we believe everything you said except that we believe more and he said what do you mean and they said, well we believe you know what you're talking about is an old covenant and we believe in a new covenant and we believe that you know the prophecy that you're talking about has been fulfilled by our savior our lord and savior Jesus Christ 
And he had never heard, according to my mom, just in a conversation with her a couple of weeks ago, he had never heard the term New Covenant until that discussion with this group of, of Christians. And so he went back and he started researching prophecy of the Old Testament, of the Messiah. And his favorite prophecy, I know his favorite prophecy was Jeremiah 31, 31, which happens to be the center scripture of the, of the, of the, of the Bible. It is the absolute center There's just as many scriptures before it as after it. Jeremiah 31, 31. And in that prophecy, God says, I will make a new covenant with my people. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their their forefathers. I will write the law on their hearts. They will be my people and I will be their God. And that affected my dad. That prophecy affected my dad so much that he had to go to his rabbi. He had to go and say, what is this? And unfortunately, he was discouraged from, from, from looking into this more. So my dad, <laughs> some of you know me, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, didn't get his answers that he needed. So he went to, at the time, in his neighborhood in Brooklyn, the only place he could go was the Catholic Church. And he went and he talked to a priest. And the priest said, in fact, these prophecies that you're looking at in the Old Testament are Jesus. The Messiah has come. Your Jewish Messiah has come. So here is a clear, clear life that was changed by prophecy. Faith in Christ came by prophecy in the Old Testament. And he was baptized a Christian not too long after that. And then married my mom. He did not marry, become a Christian to marry my mom. They said that their whole life. My mother insisted that, that it, as a matter of fact, she, told me, she just told me recently, she said, I watched him for a good year before I decided to get serious with him. So, so, so there, was not, there was not that, it wasn't that, well, you know, we're in love, we're going to get married, but you got to be, no, it was none of that. He was, he's, he, he, his faith journey ended, uh, his faith journey, with, you know, at that point became, was becoming a Christian from being a, a good Jewish kid, went to Hebrew school, learned, to, learned the Old Testament. But they don't have to be Jewish. People don't have to be Jewish to be convinced by prophecy. Sometimes science is people's religion. And, and, and science doesn't allow them to see the incredible truth of prophecy. Where's Chuck? I made it. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for listening to that. Um, I wasn't going to share that. Chuck insisted that I did. Um, so thank you all for, for listening and please do this. Please share this wonderful information, this powerful information. Please share it. Please share it. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly father, we thank you for your prophetic word. We thank you for, we thank you, Lord, that you are timeless and that you, you speak to us and give us all the information we need. You do it in a loving way. You do it in, a, in, the, in, in, the, in the character of a servant, which is amazing. Even though you're a king, even though you are the king of kings, you, you approach us like a servant. And you serve us with information, with prophecy, with truth, with holiness and righteousness and justice. 
Lord, let us not be like those who rejected you. Let us not be like those who honor you with our lips, honor you with outward appearances, but our hearts are far from you. Let us not be that, Lord. Convict us this day. Convict us this day. And Lord, let us take this incredible information and share it with our loved ones that that may not have gotten this far on their faith journey, that may not have gotten uh, our friends that are struggling right now, struggling with with all kinds kinds of problems that we're having in, in this world today. And they're struggling and they're looking for an answer. And the answer is this Messiah, this Messiah who came in and didn't demand, you know, subservience, didn't go to the throne and demand subservience, but he sacrificed himself, took our sin on himself, took the punishment of our sin on himself. Lord Jesus, we thank you and appreciate you and worship you for that. Let us go from this. Lord, help us to go from this time, this this place, and do your will and hear your voice in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There will be no final song, so have a good week. (laughs) Thank you.